0: Thank you so much, Sandy, for that very, very beautiful song. I um, went home and started to get excited about coming back. Uh, Looks like some of you did as well, or else you just came out of duty. But either way, you're here, and I'm glad that you're here. I actually look forward to hearing when Sandy plays those songs. Last week and this week just really blessed my heart. I wish I could play like that. Once upon a time, I used to be able to, but I'm not there anymore. A lot of things I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. So I do the one thing I can do, and that is love Jesus. And then he lets me do some of the other things. Would you take your Bibles and turn, please, to James chapter 1? If you have your Bibles, you should follow along in them. If not, then you're going to see that the text is actually on the screen for us. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about the subject wisdom. But here's what I really want to talk to you about. Learning to recognize wisdom. Many people think of wisdom as coming from a guru or a holy man. And he's sitting on some Tibetan hill somewhere. And uh, we have to kind of go there and make the effort to climb the mountain and hope that when we arrive at the top, he's willing to kind of talk and give us his wisdom. Unfortunately, we sometimes feel similarly to that when it comes to God. We have the idea that God is not going to really give us wisdom, or we have this uh, impression that what God is going to do is send ooey gooeys down from heaven that will get all over us, and then we'll know that we have wisdom. Here's what I oftentimes will hear from people. Well, you know, I asked God for wisdom, but I didn't get wisdom. And so therefore I assume either he wasn't listening or he didn't intend for me to have wisdom. And so I just went on and did whatever it is I thought would be the best thing to do. Now, preacher, why am I in trouble? Well, I believe that as we begin to progress in the Christian life, and many of us who are here have been followers of Jesus Christ for many, many years, but as we begin to progress in our faith with Jesus Christ, as we begin to grow, then there is a greater need for us to know and understand wisdom. I have been a believer now for 62 years. I know I don't look that old, but indeed it has been for 62 years that I've been a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that this week... I realized again how much more I need to find God's wisdom than 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Now, I had the same need back then. I just wasn't bright enough at that time to realize that I needed wisdom. So, from the oldest one of us who's here to the youngest one of us who's here, there is something that we need to clearly understand. We need wisdom. So, how do we know that we have wisdom? Because I don't believe God says, you need wisdom, and then says, but I'm not going to let you figure out how you know that you have wisdom. How can you know that you're making the right decision at any given time? Would you bow for prayer with me? Then we're going to read the text, and then we're going to dig into it. God, our Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has resided in us to guide us into all truth. We thank you for Jesus Christ who made it all possible through his death on the cross. And many of us who are in this room, maybe most of us who are in this room, already know Jesus as Savior. And so what we need is we need to be able to see the signals, see the signs, see the definite things that you've given us so that we can understand wisdom and so that indeed we can walk in that wisdom. Help us as we look into the text now, in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to look at two different texts this morning. The first one we'll only take a few moments in, and the reason why is because we're really quite familiar with this part of the whole subject of wisdom. It's probably the one you hear quoted most often when we talk about wisdom. We're going to break into the middle of a paragraph, actually, in both Greek and in English, and I want you to begin at verse number 5 of chapter 1 and follow as I read. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind." That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all that he does. Just several quick things that will help us to remind us what is needed when we need wisdom. God has told us that we are to ask him, so you need wisdom. You stop long enough, quieten yourself enough, get the other busy things out of life, even if this is a crisis situation, to be able to say to God, God, I need wisdom. Do you ever do that? You say, well, you know, uh, most of the time, I'm smart enough to know what I should do, so I don't really have to ask him for wisdom. Can I get you to turn that over? Because what I'm going to do this summer, in most of the sermons that I'm going to Uh, present to you is I'm going to ask you to turn familiar things over to look at them from a slightly different point of view. And the reason I'm going to do that is because all of a sudden there may be something that we've not thought about that is going to become part of who we're going to be going moving forward. And this is one of them. I may have lots of native intelligence. I may have Plenty of experience in the thing that I am needing wisdom in. But what I need to do is nonetheless recognize that God is the one who directs my steps. Every step I take is to be taken in his plan, in his will, for his glory, and ultimately for my good. And so I'm going to ask him for wisdom. God, I've had experience in this before. But is there something new that you want me to see? Is there a different way that you want me to respond to it? And sometimes, I'll say more often than not, he begins to show me that he wants me to do things quite differently than I would have chosen to do them myself. And so that's why he tells us to ask. But quickly, let's take a quick notice at some of the things that he says in the text. When he talks about this, he says that uh, God gives generously. See, God is not stingy with his wisdom. God isn't saying, well, if I give it to you, I won't have it to give to somebody else. I had planned what I'm going to give you to give that to somebody in Indonesia somewhere. No, God is not stingy with that kind of stuff at all. The second thing that I want you to notice is he says he does so, he gives us generously without finding fault He doesn't badger us. What are you here for again? Why are you asking this again? Didn't I give you enough wisdom the last time you were here? No, God doesn't do that. God does not badger us. God does not bully us. God does not do anything to hold it back, but rather says, My son, my daughter, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're willing to listen because I have perfect wisdom for you in this specific situation. Now my problem isn't believing that God will withhold wisdom from me. My challenge comes that I sometimes doubt. What I mean to say is, he says, now this is what I want you to do. Now God, that doesn't make sense. I wouldn't do it that way. If I were choosing how to do this, this is how I would do it. And basically what God is saying to us, okay, you got a choice. You can choose to do it your way. It's going to flop. And you're going to have to flounder a little bit. But he says, if you do it my way, you're going to have the wisdom that is necessary. Now listen carefully. Doing what God gives us in terms of wisdom does not guarantee that there won't be difficulty along the pathway of decision and the pathway of execution. We know that our Christian lives are lived with an arch enemy and all his hordes who are trying to keep us from being able to experience God's best. But he's not powerful enough when we are dependent upon God to keep it from happening. And occasionally in the midst of all of this, the way that God reveals his wisdom to us is the fact that he's going to say to us, this one's going to be a process. It's not instantaneously going to happen. See, one of the problems that we have in the Christian church is that we have what I call a genie Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. We get the lamp and we rub it and Jesus pops out. And he says, I'll give you three wishes. And many times that's the way that we relate to the things that God wants us to relate to. God is not only interested in simply giving us wisdom and providing for a particular solution, but God is also interested in my growth through the process. I don't like to grow sometimes. It doesn't feel good sometimes. But if I have a confidence that God is not doing what he is doing in any way to give me difficulty, but rather is doing what he's doing to shape me more into the image of Jesus Christ, then I am going to be quick to do what it is that he says. So I need to move quickly because I said this was the familiar part of the text. I want you to drop down to verse 8, and he tells us that when we are doubters, verse 6, We are driven before the winds of life. And in verse 7, the person who is driven before the winds of life should not expect that he's going to receive God's very best, the things that he desires. And then he says this, Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. If you and I were to have a conversation and we were to be blatantly honest with one another in this conversation, nobody else listening, only God, many of us would have to say, you know, there are times when I'm very double-minded. Now, I know that we think of that, that that means that we're thinking about uh, uh, immoral or inappropriate things, and that may be the way that we are double-minded But he's really come out of this section where he's talking about being driven before the wind like a ship that's lost its rudder and being cast to and fro by the storms of life. And when we are double-minded at that level, it can be a tremendous, tremendous burden upon us. Don't be double-minded. You don't have to be double-minded. Okay, so let's turn, if you will, over just probably a page in your Bible to James chapter 3. And what I want you to notice in James chapter 3 is two more verses that really, I think, give us how to recognize wisdom. You need to, you need to identify these verses in your Bible and in your mind so that when you're praying about wisdom, turn to this passage. Look at this passage. Start identifying the things that are in this passage because this is how you can identify when you have wisdom. I've walked up to some people and said, do you have wisdom? I don't know. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. Then why aren't you sure that you have wisdom? Well, I don't know. I guess I've never had the ooey gooeys. God hasn't really written it in the sky for me. No, folks, he's written it in our minds and in our hearts. And here's how we know it. Look, if you will, please, at verse 17 of chapter 3 of James. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You say, oh, that's just a list. I don't ever pay any attention to the lists in the Bible. When it comes to one of those lists, I just pass over it quickly. Can I invite you to slow down? Because it is oftentimes in the lists that God reveals to us the greatest things we need to know. Let me say that again, because I think probably... Not necessarily as a new thought, but it is a thought that we've not stopped to think about. God oftentimes reveals the most important things to us in the lists. I prefer deep teaching. Can I say to you that I believe God wants us to make it as simple as we can, because in most instances, God has made his truth simple and able to be understood as the Holy Spirit teaches us. So this is where we are this morning. Let's go through this list uh, of eight things, okay? Eight characteristics of wisdom that I need in my life. And what I'm going to suggest that you do at the end of this, I am now doing. Because when I was reading this uh, a while ago, I looked at this and I said, ah, this is something that here you are, Don, you've been saved for 62 years. You've been reading the Bible through for years and years and years, and you haven't seen this before. Shame on me. But I'm glad I finally saw it, because it helps me. Here's the first one. These don't make us wise. Listen, listen, listen. These eight characteristics don't make us wise. They prove that we are wise, that we have God's wisdom. The first one is pure. And the idea in that word is uncontaminated, free from defilement, blameless, modest. And it deals with an inner condition that results in an outer attitude. One of the things that I do most of the time now that I'm no longer... The senior pastor of a church is I counsel with people. Now, so that you understand, it's really what I call front end discipleship. Because people get themselves into a lot of difficulties and they don't realize the junk that it's brought into their lives and they're stalled. They love God, they love Jesus, they want to move ahead but they've gotten stalled. And so we sit down and we begin to talk about things. And sometimes there are people who come through the door with an attitude. What I mean to say is, they look at me, sometimes they say it, and sometimes they don't. There's nothing you can do. And you know what my answer is? You're right. It has to be God that's doing this work in you, not I. Or sometimes they come in and they say... In essence, this is their attitude, just wave your magic wand over me, Don. You fix me, and then everything will be great. And when they've got that attitude, I say, you know, my, my wand broke last week. And I haven't sent out for a new one yet, so we're just going to have to muck this through. But the truth is, we oftentimes present attitudes outside, and those attitudes come from inside of us. You know, sometimes we know our bad attitudes before those out there even get to see them. Wisdom and bad attitudes really cannot exist together. I have got to have wisdom, and that wisdom needs to affect my attitude. It needs to affect my behavior. It needs to affect my conduct. And when pure... Haganos, the Greek word, when pure describes what, ha- what is happening in you, in me, then we know that we are moving toward what God wants for wisdom in our lives. Number two, he says, peace-loving. And the idea here is not the absence of war, although we ought not to be created in the environment in which war takes place. Rather, it means calm and tranquil. Now, you say to me, but that's just not my personality. I'm, I'm boisterous and I'm outgoing. Calm and tranquil doesn't describe me. And somebody else comes in and they're very retiring. They don't look at you when they when you speak to them. And we say, they're calm and tranquil. Neither of those things is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spirit within us that understands that even though life is difficult and it is some of you have sicknesses some of you are alone you've lost a spouse or you have been divorced or your family's grown and moved away and now they don't come around as much and there you sit in your apartment or in your house and you're all alone and it's difficult to get out and go you have some fear that if you go during this season of the year, there might be a, a terrible thunderstorm. And worse than that, a tornado that will come flying through here. And so there is an upheaval within inside of you. Some of you, as supposed followers of Jesus Christ, you have, uh, you have been, you have been uh, flirting and skirting with sin in your life. And so there's turmoil inside of you because you can't say I'm following Jesus and live in sin and not have turmoil. And what he says is we need to become peace-loving. And when that's in us, when we know that's there, then we know that wisdom that has come from God is there. It is uh, the kind of thing that preserves peace and promotes peace. Now I've prayed a lot about this one for me. Because, you know, I love to debate. Well, you know, you get debating about things with people and you're intense like I am, wishing I weren't. What happens is it puts the other person off. Where's the calm and tranquil? Does that ever happen to you? The third one you'll see is considerate. And the word considerate that is used here, the Greek word means gentle. It means reasonable. It means Fair. It means appropriate in the particular situation that we're involved in. It means yielding normal demands for something that is better. Now again, I know what's best for my life, I think. And God comes along and he says to me, Now Don, be considerate, not only of others but of what I want, because what I want is better. No, God, what you want is not better. You say, oh, Don, you ought not to say that, but you do it too, don't you? There are times what we need to do is we need to say, God, what you want for me is what I need most. Now, that brings us to the fourth word, and it's the word submissive, and that means open to reason, not harsh, agreeable, not stubborn. Now, there's somebody in the crowd who's going to say, oh, I'm stubborn, but that's because I'm a person of conviction. Can I whisper something to you by saying it out loud? Don't listen to the evil one. Stubbornness and conviction are two completely different things. I'm stubborn, and God says, no, Don, you've got to get rid of that. Yeah, but God, I want to be a man of conviction. Yes, Don, I want you to be that. But those two things don't mesh with one another. Now, some of you are going to go home. Maybe some of you ladies are going to say to your husbands this afternoon, Now, you heard Don talk this morning, and he said that you're not to be stubborn. That's not conviction. I don't know what you're going to do, and it could just as easily be the guy saying it to your wives. But the reality what he, is that he wants us to understand that conviction, okay is something that is submissive. To whom? To God. Am I submissive to God? If I am, the likelihood is I am going to have uh, the opportunity to demonstrate wisdom. The fifth one is full of mercy. Now, it's not just mercy. Yeah, I've got mercy. No, full of mercy, controlled by mercy. Oh, I don't like these people who are filled with mercy because they, they're, they're so, they're so uh, wishy-washy. No, that isn't what that's talking about. Mercy looks at the situation and says, something needs to be done to help this individual. So you have somebody come walking through the doors who's staggeringly drunk, and you look at them and you say, somebody ought to do something. Can I guess that if you had the thought God is really saying to you, you're the one. Oh, I don't want to get anywhere near that person. I get it. They smell. They don't talk very well. You can't reason with them. You say, they've, they, they've allowed themselves to get into this mess. Yes, indeed. But a person of mercy is a person who will demonstrate God's wisdom in such a way that that person has a chance which maybe they've never had before, or maybe have often had. This is what brings rescue missions into existence. This is what brings widow's ministries into existence. This is what causes people to go to prisons and visit in the prisons with people who need to hear about Jesus. This is the kind of ministry that causes people to work in the nursery week after week after week after week, and they don't get to sit in the service like some of the rest of us do. Do you have mercy? Your teenage son, who's maybe really struggling, or your teenage grandson or granddaughter, who's really struggling with this whole thing of what does a commitment to Jesus Christ look like, may need some mercy. No, what they need is they need the hard fist. What happens if somebody uses that hard approach with you? Can I tell you what happens to me? I look at them, and in my mind I say, sometimes with my mouth, Oh, you think so? Just watch. And I pop back to that other one where I'm so filled with stubbornness. And who gets helped by that? But if you have mercy within you, if you have that sympathy within you, then you can understand that God is giving you the wisdom to know how to use that. Number six, full of good fruit, controlled by good fruit. And good fruit is perfect. It's complete. It is useful. Fruit refers to results. I can go to the apple tree early in the season and only see the leaves in that first part of the season when those flowers, the apple blossoms are on the tree I am so taken by the beauty of the apple blossoms but that's a promise that there's a result coming and the result that comes is a luscious beautiful apple that I'm going to be able to pick and use to eat as fruit to garnish other things that I'm making to make as a pie Or as an apple crisp. Is your mouth watering? The reality is that God says that when wisdom is in me, it's going to produce results, and the result it's going to produce is good fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, there are three kinds of fruit that are spoken about in the Bible. There may be others, but three specific kinds. The first one is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Are those things developing in your life? I pray about every one of those things regularly. That God will allow those to develop. That I will allow those to develop. That I will focus on them so that there will be good fruit then there is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11, the fruit of winning souls. Sorry, of, of righteousness. Living a right kind of life. And then Proverbs eleven thirty, 30, the fruit of winning souls. Now, since we're dealing with evangelism in the other series, which I took a hiatus from because of the picnic today, it's important for us to understand that when wisdom is in us, we make the applications that God wants. Seventh, impartial, that is undivided, without doubt, unshakable, single-minded, not wavering, firm, not discriminating, not showing favoritism. I have prayed in the 45 years that I've been pastoring that God would help me never as a pastor to show favoritism. That the person who comes in and is well-placed, as far as the community is concerned, is treated well. That the person who comes in and has nothing is treated the same. Why? Because it puts a block, it grieves the spirit. It would cause me not to be able to do the job that God has called me to do. Are you filled with prejudice today? Are there people that you don't really like to be around You say, God, I'll work with this one, but I won't work with that one. I'm not telling you that you have to go and work with the one that you don't particularly feel directed towards or called towards. What I am saying is don't be filled with partiality. And then the eighth one is sincere, not scheming, not hypocritical. Now, when I go to church today, I'm going to look to see who's there, and I'm going to make my prospect list out of the people that I see there so that I can buttonhole them before they leave church today, and we can get an appointment so that I'm going to be able to sell them what it is so that I can get rich. Hmm. Suppose that ever happens in church? I've had to chase a few people down in my years of pastoring and say, we don't do that here. We come here to worship God. We come here to fellowship with one another. We come here to enjoy the opportunity of being taught from the Word of God. We leave those other things to the other parts of the week. Am I sincere? Okay, so with these eight things that we've talked about, the result will be that I become a peacemaker. The result will become that I will demonstrate wisdom. So what do you need to do? I think that what we need to do this morning is this. First of all, we need to ask ourselves... Is my life characterized by wisdom? So take a piece of paper and write these eight characteristics down alongside of them. You can put a check mark or whatever you want and say, yes, I think this is already in my life. When you finish putting check marks, thank God. If you see that there are some blank spots, say, now God, obviously there are some things I need to work on and that you need to help me work on. So I'm going to ask for wisdom so that these things will become true in my life. If you should be fortunate enough to be able to check almost all of the eight, or all eight of them, then what you need to do is you need to say, God, will you help me to remain conscious of the fact that I am a person with wisdom? Oh, I'm too humble to ever let anybody know that I have wisdom. You don't have to let people know that you have wisdom. Do you know what happens? They come to you and they say, Brother, Sister, can I talk to you about something? I need some wisdom. And I think you're a person of wisdom. I see it. I hear it. And you may want to say, no, I'm not a person of wisdom. Bite your tongue. Don't say that. Hear them out. And if you can't give them any wisdom, at least pray for them, with them, about that. But I'm going to say to you that as people come up to you and ask you for guidance... I didn't say for you to begin to gossip If they ask you for guidance Give them guidance Here's one that sometimes comes up I even get this Well you know The the pastor of of, of my church Where I attend Where I'm not attending this summer obviously But where I usually attend His name is Joe And sometimes a person will come to me And they'll say You were the former pastor here weren't you? Yes. Well, I have, I have something that I need some wisdom on. And they start to spin me a yarn about how they feel that Pastor Joe has not done something that he should have done. Do you know what I always say to them? Stop. Am I really part of the solution? No. Then don't tell me this. You go to Joe. That's where you need to go. Now, I'm not preaching on gossip, but the, the same thing is sometimes true with wisdom. I may not be the person, but I may say, you know, my wife would be able to help you. Oftentimes there will be females who will come to me and say, I have this big challenge, and, and you're a counselor. Can I come and counsel with you? And I ask them to give me just a little bit so that I can figure this out. And oftentimes I will say to them, I'm not the one to do this. You would be better to see Janice. And so the wisdom that I give them directs them in the direction they should go. Now, am I a man of great wisdom? I'm afraid I'm not anywhere near as wise as what I need to be. So I take these eight things and I begin to ask myself, God, what do I do? And then as God begins to show me stuff, I write it down on that piece of paper where I wrote those eight characteristics and eventually put them into an order so that I can know exactly what God wants me to do and to tell others. You say, but I'm not a pastor. You say, but I'm not a priest. You say, but I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a guru who's sitting up on a mountain with a shingle stuck out there saying, if you can possibly climb this horrendous mountain, I just might possibly be here to give you some wisdom. No, 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 no. But you are a person placed in the community where you are to make a difference for God by sharing with those who need wisdom. God our Father, will you help us to understand from this very simple message that you have something for us to do, and that is to determine whether or not we have wisdom. And how to recognize that wisdom in our lives. Lord, some who are here may be saying, I'm too old for this. God, would you help them to realize they're not? Would you have somebody cross their path this week who will ask them about wisdom? God, would you give them a sensitivity to understand that that's what you want them to do? May they be careful to discern, to realize that if someone's asking, you're telling them, go ahead, because that's what our job is. Would you bless us throughout this week? Would you help us to bring honor to you in our lives and in the lives of others around you? us? We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. I'll stand here at the front of the auditorium. If you have something that you want to ask a question about or a comment that you'd like to make, please, by all means, come and chat with me. Uh, And uh, I trust that you won't walk away and say, well, I'm afraid to do that. I don't think he'll listen. I'll guarantee that I'll listen. I'm very approachable, even though I look like a great big old ugly uh, whatever you've imagined that I am. I'm not that. I'm just a big old white marshmallow. Uh, So you come up and talk with me about that. Wisdom. Do you have it? You need it. You can have it. And all you have to do is ask God to help you to read the signs of the wisdom that he has given you. Go and have a great, great week. If you're going to come to the uh, picnic, then I hope that I'll have an opportunity to spend more time with you, chatting with you. If not, then, Lord willing, we'll see you next week. When we're back preaching on one of the most important passages... In the entire Bible. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts 2 next Sunday tomorrow. Look at that. I'm so anxious for it to come. I'm calling it tomorrow. Um, And you all come. But in the meantime, can I say to you, stand firm. It's always good to stand firm. God bless you.